You're listening to Carnivore Conversations, a podcast exploring the benefits of keto, carnivore, intermittent feasting, and other lifestyle hacks. Each week, we'll be interviewing a special guest from the keto carnivore community and so much more. This is your host, board certified and practicing physician, Dr. Robert Kiltz. We can't miss anything. We we've started the recording and we can't miss a thing of uh, uh, from uh, the meat mafia. And I got my Italian heritage, so I know the mafia well. And yeah. Brett and Harry, I'm really really excited to have you on uh, Kiltz's Carnivore podcast and talking about everything about meat. But you got to show everyone your your shirts. You just gotta oh, yeah. like you gotta you gotta show them that that yeah. that is it. Everything is about steak and. Uh, I'm really excited, and you guys are rocking and rolling. We're trying, and you know, if you're going to go on Kiltz's Carnivore podcast, you have to wear the steak shirts. It's, there's no option. Yeah, it, there, there's there's no option. I came down I came down to Sarasota, so I'm missing my steak shirt, and my Carnivore shirt. But uh, you know, we we know where we're all at. I was at the beach and uh, talking to a friend, and you know, some some young young guys, uh, uh, 22. We're chit chatting, and and you know, this is stuff they don't know about. And but they're all in on it. They want to do it. They want to learn about it. They want to know what can they do to be the healthiest. And uh, because because something's wrong with us. And maybe you could start by by introducing yourselves to our community and tell us a little bit about how you got into this crazy uh, mafia on meats. I love it. Start it off, yeah. buddy. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dr. Kiltz, first of all, in all seriousness, you're a guy that we've looked up to greatly. We were fortunate we had you on our podcast right before Thanksgiving time. And you just have that incredible energy that lights up any show or room that you go into. You've had a huge impact on us and you've helped teach us a lot about the carnivore diet, animal-based food, saturated fat. So for us, it's honestly an honor to be on your show. So we appreciate you having us on, but it's a, it's a great question. It's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. And we think that the two of us and you were kind of on both ends of the torch where you're a guy that's in his late sixties You've been eating the right foods for a long time and you look great. You feel great. You have great energy and great vitality. You know, I'm, I'm Brett. I'm 28. This is Harry, the co-host of the show, 29. And we found ourselves in our early to mid 20s, just not feeling as good as we possibly could. Um, you know, we're, we're really good buddies. We played baseball together at a small school up in the Northeast called Babson College. Cool. And we justified a lot of the things that we did because we were healthy. We were, quote unquote, healthy athletes and it was just pure calories in, calories out. It was protein powders. It was pre-workouts, probably drinking too much alcohol on the weekends, too much processed foods. And uh, we went on and graduated. I, I went and lived and worked in New York City. Harry was in Boston. And we both had our own self, separate journeys, kind of getting unhealthy and then kind of rewiring that and ultimately finding health a few years later. Um, so for me, when I was 21 years old, I found myself getting diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, wow. uh, which is an autoimmune disease. And um, I was 21 years old, like I mentioned, and I was literally going to the bathroom upwards of 20 times a day, uh, wow. blood in the stool, frequency to go to the bathroom, um, ended up getting put on medications that were $400,000 a year, you know, thankfully wow. covered by insurance. But as you know, Dr. Kiltz, you know, I, I'm basically told that these autoimmune diseases are incurable. Right. So the best they can do is put this in a remission, but I'm going to be on these drugs and medication for the rest of my life. And I would say for me, Harry knows this story well, everything changed in 2019. 
you know, the advent of podcasting, the open sourcing of information, people start talking about this carnivore diet, the concept of eating all animal products. And uh, Dr. Baker was the first guy that I listened to when he talked about that on Joe Rogan in 2017. I listened to that in 2019. And he was mentioning all of these people with IBS, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis that were doing this diet and they were effectively curing themselves and getting off of all their medication. And so for me being a, you know, a young guy, I don't want to be dependent on meds my entire life. So I say, you know, why would I not give this diet a shot? And um, I remember very vividly going to Whole Foods for the first time, loading up on steaks, ground beef, eggs, bone broth, chicken thighs. And I just was like, you know what? I'll try it for a week or two weeks. I can do anything for a short period of time. And literally, Dr. Kiltz, within the first week, I think I was down to going to the bathroom like one to two times a day. Wow. Um, my energy improved. My skin improved. I could feel this like burning inflammation lessening and lessening out of my gut. And it was ultimately the thing that gave me my life back. So, you know, now I'm sitting here, you know, three, four years later after that, I'm completely drug free. You know, I got a colonoscopy two years ago. I had zero inflammation. I had zero micro inflammation mm -hmm. and I you know, effectively cured this incurable disease just by running towards these animal based foods that everyone told me were going to kill me. Right. But those were really the foods that gave me my life and my vitality and my health back. So that's, mm -hmm. that's my story. And no doctor that you'd been going to suggested this, you kind of tripped over it on your own. It's a, it's a great question. So the, the GI that I was going to in Princeton, New Jersey, where I'm from, he was an amazing guy. He, I was telling him about it. He was like, you know what, if it's working for you, keep doing it. But when I would go for my checkups every six months, he was like, oh, you look great. You look so much better. Your, you know, your labs are getting better. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, don't you want to know the playbook of what I'm doing? Like as far, as far as I'm concerned, he basically told me that I think I'm the only patient that he knows of that got me off of Remicade, which was the biologic drug. And he's a great guy, but you know, it's just these conventional doctors just aren't really taught to think about diet and lifestyle, unfortunately. But it's something I think about a lot because you know, you imagine a world where people that don't have to suffer from Crohn's and IBS and all these terrible autoimmune diseases just by running towards the right foods. Bad luck in your genes, bad luck to get this, and you're just kind of lucky that it healed. Maybe it didn't have anything to do with the meat. That may be our standard dialogue from our, our standard American doctors. Exactly. And I'm going to yeah. have to closely monitor it. And if there's any signs of flare, I'm going to have to go back on my, my drugs and medication. And I, and I kind of view it, you know, I think some people would be like, oh, it's a stroke of bad luck. But for me, I'm just like, that's all the proof of concept that I need to just stick to these foods. Because I say that I'm cured because when I'm eating this way, I have no issues at all. But I know that when I gravitate away from them, my symptoms will reappear. So for me, it's like, it's great. I can just eat all the foods that I love to eat that make me feel great. And I just try and stay consistent day in and day out. And I suffered from bowel bleeding and hemorrhoids for mm -hmm. years and never was given a diagnosis and really just kind of lived with it. Uh, and and uh, it was carnivore that, voila, it went away. Wow. And uh, it was like, I would then, but it was, it was like a year after it all went away that I put it all together and realized, oh shit. It's just, just, just a change in my diet that, that did it. No more plants. Amazing. Yeah. It's, in, it's incredible the, um, how you can have this anecdotal experience and then you're able to pass on that wisdom that might not necessarily be in a peer-reviewed study, but here you are running a fertility clinic and you're, you're improving female health, male fertility. It's like you're giving people the ultimate gift, which is like helping them get pregnant and have children all by eating the right foods. Mm. And it's like, you know, Harry's 29, I'm 28. 
we're already starting to see issues with people our age that are having kids that can't get pregnant. Yeah. Those that have been on birth control, guys that have been eating processed foods for two decades. It's really interesting the period of time that we're in. So Harry, tell us your story. Yeah. So mine's a little bit less eventful. So I, um, I played baseball with Brett. We played um, baseball in college and a big part of my career in baseball was centered around performance training. Like I spent tons of hours in the gym, but didn't really have the nutrition all dialed in. So like in high school, the people that I was training with were incredible. They were great at teaching the concepts around movement and getting stronger, but nutrition was something that they didn't really incorporate into the program, but I was interested in it. And so, you know, I go to college and I would say like, in terms of just like preparing myself for the baseball season, like I was, I was definitely in a good spot. Like I was able to go into the gym and do things that other guys couldn't do. And I was tinkering with my diet. So, you know, I, I did a paleo diet in college for a while. I was like the outcast on the team. Me and another buddy were just like, we're just going to go extreme. We're doing a paleo diet. We're feeling amazing. We're seeing great results and, um, you know, end up graduating uh, a few years later and I'm working in a finance job high stress job, demanding Mm -hmm. hours, sitting a bunch, commuting on a bus, you know, an hour each way. And like my whole attitude towards how I treat my body totally changed. Like I, you know, started snacking on the Doritos, started eating the Oreos in the office. And, you know, a a few years later, a few months later of that, I'm looking at myself, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm really not the athlete I used to be. I don't have that energy, that spark. And it's so funny, like one of the one of the key parts of our show with the Meat Mafia podcast is like we should be trying to get the most out of our lives. Like we, we should be trying to fuel our bodies so that we can do the things that we want to do with our life. And in your early 20s, you have so much bandwidth to get away with, you know, eating junk food, going out and drinking on, on the weekends. And I, I sort of fell into that trap. And uh, it wasn't until right around COVID time that I started taking my diet more seriously diet and lifestyle more seriously. And I basically just went back to the fundamentals. Like I was very intentional about sourcing food. I was sourcing my meat from white oak pastures, which is a regenerative farm in Georgia. Uh, They're incredible. I learned a ton about just regenerative farming just by reading their blog. Will Harris has an incredible blog. And that really like sparked something where I just was really curious about food at that point. I started to see a lot of changes in my own life. I was leaner, I was getting way stronger and was just a lot more curious about like what was going on in the food system. And so just to like pivot back to the story, the fundamentals for me were cooking my meals, walking. I was getting like an insane amount of steps in during COVID because everything was shut down. Gyms were shut down. Right, right. I was like, let's just go get some sunlight and go for long walks. So I would do like three walks a day trying to get like eight to 10,000 steps per session. So that's like Wow. It's a good good amount of time. I was throwing podcasts in. It was it was honestly, I know a lot of people didn't have a great time during COVID, but I used it to my advantage. And so I was doing the basics and started to get in really good shape and best shape of my life. And I basically at that point convinced myself, you know, go full carnivore. Brett had been, you know, doing it in New York. I was in Boston and had an amazing experience with it that basically shaped my perspective on how to be healthy, how to build that foundation, how to live that really good life. Um, just by fueling yourself with the right foods. And so, um, yeah, I, my story is, is not as severe as Brett's where he was curing those autoimmune issues. But I think a lot of people do struggle with like, you know, catalyzing change in their life and really starting to make some improvements. 
And for me, like, you know, I, I, I hope that our show can help people start to make those changes because a lot of times that people know what to do, but it's really just a matter of making those steps and starting to incorporate some basic changes. So, um, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the backdrop of the meat mafia. Pause one second. I have, I have one technical thing to do. Hang on. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Freaking love this guy. He's the best. <laughs> I had a light issue. We'll see what it does, but uh, it's all good. It's <laughs> it's it's the theater. It's good. It's good. So so, you guys have been buddies for a long time. Yes. Um, yeah. Both in finance. Yeah. And, and, and somehow you've come together in this food and fitness world to share ideas and by simply blogging and, and, and talking about this. And, and it sounds like you're, you're, you're all in, how did you come up with the meat mafia, uh, and to get you guys both to podcast and share this and grow something that, um, is a little outrageous. <laughs> so the brick so where i left off with my story so got in a lot better shape and then that really made me start to reevaluate a lot of other things that were happening in my life so i'd been at the same job for about six years and was really looking to make a change was at the end of the road with that job started to applying started to apply for jobs that were really in like the food space so was looking to potentially be a chief of staff for a guy who has a bunch of products in the health and wellness space. And um, that for me was like the clear direction to make a change. So I ended up quitting my job without a real plan in place. But, um, you know, through the process of interviewing for that chief of staff role, I put together a business plan for this guy for a business idea. And that idea ultimately led to me moving to Austin and trying to get it off the ground. And at the same time, Brett and I were actually training for an Ironman together. So we were um, we were working on training for this Ironman and decided that we were going to do the Waco Ironman and do like a month long experience, just living together, working together remotely. And at that time, we both just realized that our where our true passions were, which was starting to put some of this information together that we had formed on our own through our own experiences and start to put it out there on the Internet. So we started these Twitter accounts, these anonymous Twitter accounts at the time. And uh, we just decided to go with the mafia, the mafia theme because it's punchy, it's fun, like yeah. kind of lighthearted, but also, you know, you can really drive home a message with a fun brand like that. And so we took the names uh, Salazzo and Clemenza from, uh, the, the from, from the Godfather. And we, yep. Just, yep. we just ran, we ran with it like as hard as we could. We both were putting out a bunch of content on Twitter. And then, you know, a, a few weeks later, we started the podcast and over, you know, a handful of weeks, we had recorded a bunch of episodes virtually and just really kind of found our stride and, and our passion with just putting this information together for people. Are you finding a lot of like-minded or similar stories out there and you and, and it's a little shocking to hear? Mm. It's a great question. And I think that the number, probably 60 to 70% of our podcasts probably start with the guests telling us some type of personal story about trying to overcome some health issue or some disease that they were dealing with and how diet lifestyle using food as medicine was really the thing that 
pulled them out of that issue that they were in. And it ended up being a, a blessing in disguise. It's fascinating. And that's, that's, what's interesting too, about the show, Dr. Kiltz is that like, you know, there was a little bit of imposter syndrome, I would say prior to starting the podcast, because, you know, neither of us have MDs like you, we're not nutritionists. We don't have, you know, degrees in exercise science, but we're, we're enthusiasts that have done the practical. We, you know, put in the 10,000 hours, we've healed some of our own issues. And we noticed that like we were coaching a lot of our friends and family on the side and we love doing that. So we were like, well, if our message can help one other person, why would we not try a podcast and just put some of that out there and, and really interview the specialists that can maybe speak to the science and some of the things that we don't have as much insight about. But short answer to answer your question is that 70% of our guests have some type of health story that really led them going down this rabbit hole. And it was really like God's plan and a blessing in disguise. It, it's, it is an interesting thing because even as a doctor, when I when I talk and give the stories, I'm always putting a disclaimer. This is not medical advice. <laughs> and so you got to think, well, if a doctor can't give medical advice on a podcast, then why can't everyone give non-medical advice on a podcast? If you think right. about it, which, right. which is ultimately because it goes back to your doctor and my doctors that took care of us, but didn't have any inkling of an idea that, a change in your diet would cure your diseases. Yeah. How, how do you, how do, how do you see that? And what do you think we can do to change that? Well, one of the, one of the things that I think is particularly concerning about what you were just talking about is the people who have been trained to treat people and, and uh, provide care for people really are kind of beholden to the medical boards and medical authorities and they can't really step out of line. Otherwise they get, you know, put back in line with getting their, uh, you know, credentials taken away. You know, we interviewed Gary Fetke, who's out of Australia. Yep. And he, he was running the risk of really losing his practice because he was helping people get off medication and not end up on his operating table. And for us, Brett and I can come in free swinging and start throwing rocks at the glass house because we don't have medical credentials, but we have strong opinions about what's wrong with the system. And when you look at it in its totality, we have a food system that's concentrated by a handful of multinational companies that are like supporting the processed food industry. And then on the other side of that, we have the same industry structure where it's highly concentrated uh, throughout a number of large multinational companies who are prescribing medication for people. And those guys are all profiting off of us getting sick. So when it comes down to it, it's really all about personal autonomy and getting information in the people's hands so they can start making some of these changes for themselves because a lot of times they're not getting the answers they need or are, are able to actually take action when they go to their doctor. Like that's something that we hear all the time. It's like people have tried to cure things that they're running into and they go to their doctor and their doctor isn't able to actually help them find the root cause because either they weren't trained in it because the nutrition programs and all these medical schools aren't really taught or they just, you know, they, they don't feel like they can actually make that type of, uh, uh, give that type of uh, guidance. So mm -hmm. what's your opinion on the cause of most of these diseases? Do you have a sort of a thought and idea about that, which where, where you think, is the most likely thing. 
Yeah, it's like we could probably spend hours, the three of us, theorizing this too. But I think very, if we were to simplify it, I just think that the majority of population just hasn't been trained how to eat a species appropriate diet. I think that, you know, you look at, go to your grocery store and just look at the person whose cart is in front of you. And 90% of the things that are in their cart aren't actually food. They're food-like substances that are just found in the inner aisle. You know, and, and like Harry mentioned, there's 47,000 products in the average grocery store, but they're really controlled by about 12 companies that are publicly traded. So it's like, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just that they're publicly traded. So they're, they have a fiduciary responsibility to maximize profit for shareholders. So you're going to cut corners. You're going to use a cheaper oil. You're going to use a lower quality sugar. You're going to use a grain. You're going to make the product really shelf stable. And these companies have massive marketing budgets. So it's like, there are some incredible statistics. I think the average child watches around like, four hours of TV. And during that time, it's like 70% of the advertisements that they're shown are for foods that are high in fat and sugar. So we're embedding these into our children's subconscious at a really young age. And I think the dietary patterns reflect that. And then the health statistics reflect that now that, you know, 70% of Americans are overweight or obese. Our kids are now getting fatty liver disease. So like mm -hmm. a disease mm -hmm. that was formerly regulated to aged alcoholics, our kids are now getting right. sugar. Right. So I think it's really as simple as that. And like, Anyone knows that if you're shopping in the outer aisles and you're prioritizing the animal rich foods, you're going to get really healthy and you're going to feel really good. And it's almost like you have you need that to be your billboard. Like it's it's tough to push something on someone because they've been so conditioned as to what the right foods are. But what we've noticed with some of our friends that aren't as deep in this space over the last two to three years, they've seen changes in the way that we look, the way that we're acting. Oh, these guys are on their own. They're launching their own business. They're launching their own podcast. It's like that's all based off of the incredible metabolic base that we built by getting our diet and lifestyle in order. And mm -hmm. then they start to lean in. So it's almost like you have to just do the right things and let that almost be your own billboard. And then other people will follow you as a result of that. It's like you're your own proof of work. Be the example. Be the yeah. example. Because you, you can't, you can't, um, I always say if you, you better like mud if you want to fight a pig. <laughs> yes. That's a, that's that, that, right. right. I, I might steal that from you. It's you know it's yours you you got it you got it <laughs> so so the the what about the sort of the the vegan vegetarian um, message um, I might use the word propaganda um, but the message out there and um, it, it and I, growing up watching Popeye spinach but but then watching so many other television shows with people smoking and drinking and 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 really if you think about it it's not just the commercials it's all the content that's that's and nowadays right. so much of our so much of our of our quick watching is really all marketing mm -hmm. and 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 seeing that and so how do we uh, besides just the the example personally, but how do we continue to help that message? Because children, uh, and I talk to teachers all the time who are trying to get pregnant, and then we talk about this diet changes, and and then they talk start talking about what the kids are eating. Mm -hmm. uh, how do we help at that at the school age level? Yeah. So, with the show, we've come across a lot of different people, and I think the people looking for the most information from my perspective are mothers trying to take care of their children and they are looking for answers so that they can give their kids the right food 
and make sure that they're healthy. They don't run into these problems that a lot of kids are running into, whether it's obesity or later on some of these autoimmune issues. So I think it's really about getting the information in front of the right people, the people who want to actually create some change, because, you know, if you don't want to make the change, like it's not going to happen, but Mm -hmm. mothers who are trying to be informed and make good decisions for their kids are always going to be receptive to a really strong and compelling message, especially when they see what's actually happening out there. When kids are eating the school lunches, they're coming back, the kids are, you know, (laughs) emotional, or, you know, they act out after having a lot of sugar. It's like, okay, you can kind of like start to piece together what's happening here if you're paying attention. And I think mothers are just like, obviously very innate, innately good at that. So I would say, you know, making change, it's about getting that information in front of the right people. And, you know, there are people who are reluctant to hear the message around carnivore and animal-based diets. They think it's inhumane. They think there's information and studies out there that have proven that nutritionally, you shouldn't be eating a lot of red meat or they think that the environment is gonna be harmed by eating a meat-based diet. But like in reality, if you're conscious about how you're consuming all of these foods, you can do it in a way where it is the most nutrient dense food that you can eat. It is good for the environment if you're buying it from a a local farm that's doing things the right way. And I I would make the case that it's also humane um, because, you know, there's a lot of death that happens through, you know, a a vegan diet as well. So um, yeah. Well, uh, IBS, Crohn's, uh, people die of those diseases younger and younger, and colon cancer is on the rise younger and younger. And, and, and so, you know, not knowing the cause of disease, we doctors, uh, we go to the treatment, the, di- the, the basically the, the, the labeling of the diagnosis and then a, a drug or a dissection, but not considering that the diet is the deadly thing. Hmm. And, and that's as, as simple as that. Do you think it's enough to simply incorporate more fatty meat and if not eliminate, but just minimize the plants in the diet? It's such a good question, Dr. Kiltz. And I think it's probably just a matter of where your starting point is and how sick you are. Mm-hmm. I feel like where I, where I was, I was finding that keeping a food journal was really helpful for me in the beginning when I was when I was at my lowest in 2019 because it let me write down what I was eating, what time I was eating, and then I would report how I was feeling. Did I have energy after my meal? Did I feel bloated? Did I go to the bathroom? And I would like record my bowel movements. And I was taking it to that extreme because I was actually that sick. And I was noticing that, okay, if I'm if I eat steak by itself or chicken by itself or eggs, I feel good. But then when I eat broccoli or cruciferous vegetables, dark leafy greens, some of these other things, I feel this kind of bloated feeling. And I was like, all right, why don't I just try cutting those things out? Because some of these Mm -hmm. carnivores are saying to just cut out plants. You don't need plants. And I noticed I felt really good anecdotally. And I was like, all right, I'm going to stick to that. And the more that I would stick to that, the better that I would feel. And I feel like now I'm at a point where because my stomach is resilient, I can incorporate, incorporate those things every once in a while. Like my girlfriend, she eats a lot of saturated fat. She eats a lot of red meat. She eats a lot of fish. She does like some vegetables. So if we're going to cook a meal, like maybe I'll have some plants. Mm-hmm. But I don't mm-hmm. view them as the essentials of the plate. I might just view those because maybe they complement a dish really well. 90% of my calories are coming from saturated fat and animal protein. And that's honestly when my stomach feels the best, when my energy levels feel the best. So I don't think those are essential by any means, but for the sake of not isolating anyone, if you have a resilience, if you have a resilient body and you're in good health, you know, I think they probably do have a time and a place, but not regularly. And I don't think that they're necessary either. 
I know for myself, uh, uh, the bowel bleeding, the arthritis and all those things got better on, on Atkins um, uh, and weight loss and looking, uh, looking better as I thought at the time. And then paleo got better, keto got better. And then, but they didn't go away until I did carnivore. But I, as a carnivore do occasionally have some French fries dipped in, dipped in uh, duck grease or mayonnaise and those sort of things are cream. But, but I would agree with you because I think so, everyone's a little bit different in, in this in yeah. the amount of gut damage. Definitely. It's also interesting too, Dr. Kelts. Harry and I have been exploring this a lot on our show. We had this, this gentleman on, he'd actually be a great guest for your show. His name's Steven Arena. And he's the founder of this company called Masa Chips. And so they make a three ingredient tallow based tortilla chip. So it's, it's corn, Redmond, real salt, and then they fry the chips in tallow. And then he does a specific process to the corn to take out some of the toxicity. And one of the things he was saying is we have this tendency to just just demonize a specific food group like a French fry, but it might not necessarily be the food itself. It might be the preparation that makes the poison or the antidote of the food. So like you said, Dr. Kiltz, you have a French fry, you know, organic non-GMO potato, you fry it in tallow, you throw some salt on it, maybe you dip it in some sour cream. You know, by a lot of people that could be a health food, whereas like you go to McDonald's, it's like some industrial grown potato, rustic potato, it's fried in canola oil. That's, you know, that's really toxic for the body. So a lot of times it's like the preparation that really controls your body's response to those foods too. So it's interesting to think about it from that context. And McDonald's fries used to be fried in uh, lard or tallow. Yes. Uh, and, and so ultimately um, that was the amazing part to McDonald's fries. They once were likely healthier for us and they became unhealthy for us. Uh, in, 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 in the extensive amount of uh, seed oils. So, so what, what, what do you, have you, do you think you would say are the, the, the biggest turn it off? Sorry, we got some feedback from the washing machine over there. That's okay. (laughs) We're all, you know, we're, we're not in NBC studios or whatever it is that we've got, you know, the, I'm just upstairs in my house and, uh, and then the sun is, is setting, uh, but you know, it's glaring. I got to stand in the right place. If I get to here, you know, but but this is the beauty of it. We're podcasting for whatever. And, and the beauty is anyone could do it now. Yes. And, and, we can share thoughts and ideas from around the globe and healthcare is now in the hands of everyone. And, and maybe you could comment a little bit on that concept, how the, the, the health industry, our, our health insurance for my company went up a million dollars last year, $1 million. Okay. I've only spending millions of dollars. It went up another million dollars. And, and what, what, what can we do and how do you see this movement of um, home health, holistic health. To me, it feels like the incentives in the entire food industry and healthcare industry are just completely misaligned with promoting sound health. And when that happens, it incentivizes these insurance companies to put more pressure on people to, you know, like that you're basically required to get covered by insurance and that those insurance premiums then come up and you're kind of in this position where you're, you're trapped uh, having to pay for, for other people's healthcare costs. And that's as the population is getting sicker and sicker. So, I mean, my message would really be around this idea of just trying to lead the life of someone who's going to be healthy and share those messages with other people 
we're living through such an, an amazingly interesting period on the back of uh, a pandemic crisis where a lot of people's perspective on the world changed. And it's an amazing time to create some actual change. And no, no more so than in the healthcare industry, particularly in the U.S., where a mm. lot of things just don't align for to, to promote your your ultimate underlying health. So it's really amazing just being able to have conversations with people like yourself. I mean, if you had told me like 18 months ago that I would be talking to Dr. Kiltz on his podcast about eating meat, I would I would not have believed you. But mm. you you get to have these types of conversations by starting to put the message out there. You know, one conversation at a time and you know, if you're a podcast consumer, I would just like encourage people and, and you have that itch to share information because you've had your own health journey. I would just encourage you to go out there and start to create like the best the best feeling in the world is being a creator of some sort and building something of value for other people. So, um, you know, I, I just think the more that we can encourage this type of self-responsibility, whether it's through starting a business, starting a podcast or getting healthier, mm -hmm. we should be doing that because there's a ton of people out there who are looking to support other entrepreneurs. Like once you get out in the entrepreneurial world, you would be shocked at how many people want to just help you promote your message. Like you can get the big podcast guests on if you prove to these people that you're putting in the work and that you're into it. So I would just encourage people to take that step if they have the interest in doing it. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Kiltz, I would say to, to add on Harry's point, there's kind of like three pillars to the decentralization of just medicine and healthcare that give us a lot of hope. So the first thing is what Harry just hit it on, this incredible open sourcing of data and information, whether it's the thousands upon thousands of podcasts that are out there, the blog posts, et cetera. Like if you have an autoimmune disease or a particular malady, you can literally Google that disease and then type in space carnivore. And there are going to be thousands of people that have that will literally prove to you that they've cured themselves through a particular type of diet. And not only that, they'll walk you through the exact playbook. So mm -hmm. it's like ultimate source of information. We've never had access. When you were 28, 29, you did not have access to this information. Now we're able to learn from other people and actually believe that we can heal from other people's stories. Like I would not be sitting here if it wasn't for podcasting because it was Baker and a couple other people, yourself included, that gave me belief that, okay, if I eat these foods, I can get off these meds and it worked for me. And that's what we're trying to do from the show. So podcasting and open sourcing, that's pillar number one. Pillar number two is like the rise of telemedicine clinics in this country over the last two to three years are incredible of all these doctors that are going out on their own. They're opting out of conventional medicine and they want to be able to holistically treat people and treat patients. And now you have the ability to go to websites like the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners and all these other resources where you can literally find a, a doctor in your area or just virtually that will actually work with you holistically on diet and lifestyle to, to, to treat some of the things that you're dealing with. Um, you know, these things really did not exist five plus years ago. Um, and then the third piece is um, companies that are just opting out of the system entirely, the healthcare system entirely. So there's a gentleman that we've had on the podcast. His name is Andy Schoonover, and he's a CEO of a company called CrowdHealth, which is a crowdfunded alternative to healthcare. So you're basically, they have a 4,000 member community. And they're they're crowdfunding each other's healthcare and their medical costs. Mm -hmm. And the way that they're able to do this is that they negotiate in cash when you go to the doctor or the emergency room, et cetera. So if I'm part of Crowd Health, I think you pay around like $120 a month. I was playing paying close to like a thousand dollars for my corporate health care plan when I worked at EY. So I pay $120 a month. And then if I need to go in for a colonoscopy or something like that, 
they're able to negotiate in cash where instead of it being like four to 5k, it's really like $800. And then the community is funding most of that cost. So there's all these different resources that you have access to now that I think give us hope for the future because it really gives you the ability to like take your health into your own hands, be the CEO of your own health. But there's some autonomy that's that has to come with that. It's like you're not it's not this age of like your doctor just handholding yourself. It's like you being able to go out and actually find some of the information and find a professional that really wants to work with you on a peer to peer level. If you think about it, number one is computers, cell phones, podcasting. None of this stuff, um, uh, smartphones, didn't, did, they did not exist when I was your age. Mm-hmm. You had to get into a university or get into a medical school or research institute in order to have access to this. And you still, you have to actually, you have to you get in and you have to pay for the journal articles. And I don't know if you notice, if you want a journal article these days, you got to pay for it. Some yeah. of them, you know, it's which is still kind of a little ridiculous to me. Right. But so the access is now global. Mm-hmm. Everyone has access to this information. My my patients come to me with the research articles and all the information. They tell me what they want to do and what to do. I've learned so much from my patients over the the uh, years uh, of new new treatments and new ideas, and and uh, I'm so sure I'll do it. And, and maybe that's that's one of the important things is we need to be because we can't learn everything. And so there are so many changes and improvements that are going on uh, in 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 healthcare. But the majority that are happening are non-traditional. They're not they're not what we learned. They're not according to the prospect of randomized, double blind, placebo controlled. Paid for studies. So we got we to emphasize the paid for studies because yeah. because even if it's prospective, double blind, placebo controlled, it's always going to come out with what it was paid to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm finding in medicine. Yeah, it seems that way. So to, to your point, Eat Lancet, which is a highly regarded publication globally, came out in 2019 saying that people should eat 14 percent of their diet from animal source foods. And that study was funded by, or, or that report was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And then four years later, they've just completely overturned their findings. And they upped that by doubling the amount of animal-based uh, foods that you should be incorporating in your diet. It's probably still not nearly enough. But um, it just goes to show that like there are people out there who are trying to drive a certain agenda. And they're going to do that by trying to go to the centers of control, the points of control where they can shift the narrative. And I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily nefarious, um, but I do believe that people who have power want to, you know, use that power for something. And, and a lot of these people are trying to basically control what you're eating and what you're doing in a lot of ways. The lions want to control the lie <laughs> yeah. and keep the majority of the lion's lamb. And that's kind of how I I always look at it, but it's, it's just such a kind of interesting idea, but it's so hard to believe for most of us uh, growing up in a plant-based low animal fat diet. I mean, really it's the lack of animal fat, which seems to be the biggest culprit because lean meat, lean fish, lean chicken, lean Turkey, uh, even lean beef, it seems to be the biggest story. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on the fact that just 
fat is is what we're missing more than anything. I love what you were saying about um, just comparing most humans to being lambs because when you eat highly processed foods and you're not getting enough saturated fat, it's almost like you encompass the physiognomy of a grazing animal, which I know sounds kind of crazy, but I think that's why we were really fond of your content of making this comparison to humans actually being carnivorous lions. Because when you start to, when you start to eat this way and you let the incredible metabolic machinery of the body actually take hold of yourself, it's like you have this energy, you have this vitality, you think clearly, you're like this like fog of a metabolic rut is ultimately cleared and you can think for yourself and you can form opinions and you don't want to just blanket eat what the standard American diet is actually telling you because you've found this new way of eating and living. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the demonization around saturated fat, it really, it's, you know, it's antiquated science from 70 plus years ago based off of an unfounded hypothesis when, you know, when president Eisenhower had a heart attack and that stuff is true, you know, go back and read the big fat surprise by Nina Teicholz. It's like, she's been covering this stuff for two plus decades And it's really a shame that, you know, we're living in the stone ages in regards to nutrition, because I just think so logically, like the standard American diet is telling you to eat all these servings of grains, all this sugar, yet seven out of 10 of Americans are overweight or obese. So it's like literally by listening to these diets, we're making ourselves sick and fat. So how would that make any sense at all? We should be living in the stone age with with nutrition. We'd be healthier. Well, that's that's true. We're sure we're 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 in the Stone Age, but we should be living in the Stone Age and, and looking at it more more readily. But that's that's a, a good a good point. Is it is it that there are people who uh, drink alcohol all the time and aren't drunk, and likely people who use other drugs that that somehow function in life and don't appear to be sick. Is it is it um, probable that our real problem is simply some people are more susceptible to the poisons of plants than others. Hmm. And, and, and it's genetic predispositions, whatever it is. And it's, it's, it's sort of like some people could drink alcohol and they function fine, but it'll eventually hit, hit them. Everything does. And that's the thing about plants. And, and that um, again, some people get sick as children I had ADHD, OCD, migraines as a kid, bowel problems. So, so, and, and, and maybe we're just not looking carefully and seeing the real causes of the poisons of plants. Hmm. Yeah. I would, I would think that we're all predisposed to certain genetic things. You know, we're all very similar, but there's obviously differences between, you know, people where people originally came from, you know, like there's a reason why, people of Asian descent, when they drink alcohol, they don't have an enzyme and then they turn red. Like it's just, it's their genetic expression when they drink alcohol. And so I would, I would obviously think that there's probably certain people who shouldn't be eating certain foods because they have a more harmful effect on their body. So we just don't know who they are. And that's part of the problem. Some people live a long time on a vegan, vegetarian, Mediterranean diets. They do fine. uh, Although, I like the idea of a of a food diary and a symptom diary and a life diary. In, in essence, you know, how often you get, I had headaches every other day, but I just drank coffee and Motrin or, or, or whatever it was, and I didn't think much about it. Mm. But, and maybe that's something we should, people should do, have a health diary uh, or an ill health diary 
which I'm sure it's, it's an app on their phone already in some way. And that, and that that's where a lot of this information may be, may be able to be found. It's a great point. I'd also be curious, Harry's written pretty extensively about this, the connection between people that are eating plants and vegetables that are either sprayed with glyphosate or they're not, or if they're maybe they're getting them from a local organic farmer, they're, you know, they're, they're organic, they're non-GMO, they're locally raised. My theory is that if you're following a Mediterranean diet in a, in a vegan or vegetarian diet, you're probably pretty health conscious and you're probably going to source your foods the right way. That's why you're doing it. You're just misinformed in terms of like the actual approach to your point, Dr. Kiltz, it's like saturated fat in the, from the form of animals is essential. It's everything. I mean, I cook with a ton of tallow. We cook with a ton of butter and it's like, I'm six foot, 190 pounds, sub 10% body fat. I've been doing this for four years. My lipid levels are great. Harry's levels are great. And so it's like, we're, you know, you're, you're 68 years old, absolutely humming, eating a, you probably, you eat more fat than we do. You eat my majority fat, even less protein than we do. Um, and there are a lot of other people that can attest to this. Yeah. I, I would, I would just add to the elimination diet is such a powerful tool in itself, right? So when you do go on a carnivore diet, you're participating in an elimination diet. And one part of that is the fact that you're cutting out all the junk or, you know, maybe food that you might have perceived as healthy prior to doing the elimination diet, but then you're also fueling yourself with nutrient dense foods. So from my perspective, the plant kingdom is much more susceptible to a lot of the engineering and harmful aspects of what's happened through industries concentrating and taking more control over how they want to modify and engineer food. So for instance, like glyphosate, what Brett was talking about, Glyphosate was originally uh, patented as a metal chelator. It was used to clean pipes. And now we're spraying it on all, like basically all of the crops in the U.S. And what's crazy about that to me is now we're spraying these chemicals on crops to essentially kill all of the life in the soil. And then we're engineering seeds so that they can be the only thing that survives in that soil in that process of mm -hmm. spraying mm -hmm. and putting fertilizer down. So when you're talking about like what, you know, what should people be eating in my mind, it's like, I don't even want to participate necessarily in food where I don't really know where it comes from because there are so many chemicals out there that are being sprayed on food and it's getting harder and harder to decipher like where everything's coming from and how it's been processed. And so much of this stuff is just engineered or, uh, you know, you sprayed with a number of chemicals. So in my mind, it's much easier to peel back the curtain, focus on animal foods, and then start adding things back into your diet and seeing how you react to those. And then you can really formulate a baseline of how you want to be feeling and how you feel. And that's where really the power comes from when, it, when we talk about, you know, taking control of your health. You know what works for you and what doesn't. So I'm someone that's come to you. I've been listening. I've got problems with my bowels or migraines or arthritis. Uh, how, how are you, what, what, what are some of the three things you're going to recommend uh, to get me going in the right direction? Ooh, such a good question. I think we, we try and keep it stupid, simple, Dr. Kiltz mm -hmm. and, you know, prioritizing animal fats and cooking all of your meals is an amazing starting point and getting as close to the food source as possible, shopping at the outer aisles. So for, you know, if I was to making, make a, a shopping list, steak, ground beef, chicken thighs, fish if you like it, eggs if you like eggs, 
cheese. Some people struggle with dairy, but I, th I think for most people it's okay, especially if you're getting like a good raw cheese or like a low temp pasteurized full fat milk. Buy those foods. I typically, I average, we both average around like two pounds of meat a day. Mm -hmm. So I know that when I'm going to go, sh I'm going to go shop for a week in advance, I'm going to get 14 pounds of meat. So I'll throw in some beef, I'll throw in some steak, I'll throw in some chicken thighs. I have my foods all ready to go. And then I'm going to very simply cook my meals. I'm going to eat my meals thoroughly. I'm going to not eat super late into the day. I'm probably going to try and cut it by like six o'clock, seven o'clock. And mm -hmm. I'm going to eat two big meals a day. I'm going to eat when I'm hungry. Maybe I'll have some snacks like some pork rinds or some cheese crisps, things that are high in saturated fat. The cheese crisps give you like a little bit of crunch if you're craving a chip. And I'm going to incorporate that for two weeks and I'm going to keep a food journal. And I would defy you to not feel way better after two weeks of just doing that. How many meals do you generally recommend or do you just say do what you're doing? We the meal, number around, of meals. Yeah, we keep it around two. Most, okay. day, most days I'm good with some coffee with some full fat cream in the morning and that, that holds me over. But mm -hmm. if I'm hungry, I'll whack, you know, three eggs, maybe with some bacon or something like that. But most of the time, it's like when you really get your body humming on saturated fat, it's so satiating that you can wake up and you're like, I don't feel the need to eat. It's a Mark Sisson said this to us when he came in the podcast. It's like you, you basically feel like instead of trying to consume the maximum amount of calories, you almost start to think, how can I consume the minimum amount of calories and thrive? Like I know for you, I think you're typically good with like one big ribeye from state in snake river farms a day and you're good. Right. Cause you it's not even that big. Farm. I have maybe about a third of it. I have probably around, it's a 32 ounce. I probably have eight to 10 ounces in general. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fat, I just, it's, it's quite amazing how, how much, how little you really need. Uh, I mean, I'm not a runner anymore. I used to run a lot. So I, my caloric requirement running is the very highest caloric requirement. I, I, I figured out, uh, weightlifting. I don't do as much as I used to. And you'll find as you get older, some of your joints still, especially cause they've had a lot of damage over the years, mm -hmm. just don't do as well doing the extra heavy things. The light stuff I think is really, really good. That's what I do. But in, in general, uh, but when you're younger, more calories because of your, your, your reproductive hormones are different than as you, you, you get a little older. But um, some people, I think, I, I do think maybe we push too much calories uh, in, in, in this world. But as you're saying, you're finding your less works fine. It definitely can. It definitely can. I mean, I know for myself, I've experimented with OMAD, one meal a day, some fasting, and it's a really useful tool to figure out how your body feels when you're burning on fat instead of just playing the yo-yo game with carbs. And most people should experiment with that. You know, it, it'll teach you that you don't need as much as you think that you can time your meals up around, you know, a workout or when you really feel like you actually need to eat. And you kind of break that cycle of feeling like you need to constantly be snacking on something in order to feel satiated. I know like when I fast, my brain is firing, my body feels great, inflammation feels low. And then, you know, as soon as you start incorporating foods, like it's a very energy intensive process and it does slow you down. You do want to kind of like sit down, you know, chill out a little bit. So there is something to kind of just this idea of like simplifying your life in general and just like trying to eat a little bit less or in a narrower window. So the, the meat, salt, water idea is, uh, is that elimination 
and 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 that you you talked about where where's the priority of salt and where's the priority of water for you guys we're both big salt guys and also prioritizing really good quality like mineralized drinking water ideally from a spring mm-hmm. um but we work out a lot we exercise a lot we're heavy sweaters you know, there are a ton of amazing hydration powders that are in there. I think a lot of people, and I'm sure you've interviewed people when they start to go low carb or, you know, they go the lion diet carnivore, they feel a little bit lethargic. And a lot of time, I think it's, they're, they're undershooting their electrolyte levels. So for us, it's like, you know, I'll probably do like two packs of element a day. It's Rob Wolf's mm-hmm. company. I think it works pretty well. There's also a great product called hydrate, which is even a little bit cleaner than element two. I'll throw a couple scoops in there. And then, you know, we're not, you know, we're not drinking tap water. We're prioritizing really good quality spring water throw. You know, I, I drink probably two to three cups of coffee a day. I probably I could probably cut back on that, but just getting, you know, drinking zero calorie beverages and prioritizing mostly good quality water is, is huge and getting an adequate salt. Uh, do you have any comments on fasting? Yeah. Like I said, I think fasting is just another one of those tools that people can use to start to understand their relationship with food a little bit better. And if I were to coach someone through how to start fasting, I would just tell them to start small and incrementally try to get to that 24 hour mark, because typically the first day is a little bit rough. But once you get through the night, the next morning, you generally feel great. Like you feel recharged. Your entire body is now kind of in this state of ketosis and you've slipped, you've switched the metabolic engine uh, to start burning fat as fuel. And so to me, it's for people who are curious about figuring out what food and like how food plays a role in actually governing your life. Fasting is a really cool little experiment that you can do. And then you can, you know, incorporate it when you need it. Like, you know, the two months ago or a month ago, I did a, a three or no, I did a four day fast. Wow. wow. Pretty yeah, strong. Yeah. But by day four, I felt like absolutely amazing. Like yeah. there was a, there were massive changes in my energy levels. Inflammation was down and I wasn't, I was eating very well before that, you know, sticking to an animal based diet. So it even just goes to show, you know, these types of tools that you can use to kind of just hit the reset button are better than probably any like juice cleanse or all these other kind of fatty, um, you know, diet hacks out there. Hmm. Thoughts uh, on, um, where's my, my, my brain going here a second. Um, oh, I know, uh, supplements, uh, recommendations and thoughts. You mentioned, uh, some, uh, uh mineral electrolytes, uh, maybe you talk a little bit about supplements and do you have any particular products that you are promoting, uh, from the meat mafia? Yeah, we're, we're pretty minimal supplement guys. I think that for most people, you should be able to get all the vitamins and nutrients from real food. Um, I think getting your blood work done twice a year is an incredibly effective tool. And based on some of those deficiencies, like there are vitamins and herbs and supplements that could potentially correct some of those deficiencies. Um, it's like really for us, we're really taking two things. An organ supplement gets you like a, about an ounce of organs. It's freeze dried. It's from New Zealand. Um, Heart and Soil is like a local brand in Austin that, that we'll take. And then we actually create, we just created our own product called Noble, which is, it's really like an animal based carnivore protein powder. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's, it's actually from a beef based protein powder. So it's not whey. there's no dairy in it. Um, there's organs, there's collagen and there's colostrum, which is the first milk of the mother cow. 
but it's extremely low in lactose. There's, there's really no dairy in that, in that colostrum. And so for us, it's like, we view those things as a bridge product where it's like, you know, maybe you're, you're craving something a little bit sweet, but still want to hit your protein count. There is some stevia in there and there's 21 grams of protein from beef protein. And we also think that's like a great bridge product where, you know, maybe your girlfriend or a friend isn't quite ready to go down the carnivore rabbit hole, but they're probably taking a really shitty industrial protein powder. And this is an amazing place to start to really get something clean in there and kind of get them on that animal-based path. So those are really like the two things that we incorporate is like our noble product, some organs, but 99% of what we're getting is just from real foods cooking on our own. Which is the one with the st- a little bit of stevia in it? The noble. And the noble. We do make- Which is protein, protein powder from uh, an animal, from a beef? Cow. From yeah, the, yeah that, it's all, it's all bovine. Everything in there is bovine. I wonder how that would work inside my ice cream. We should try. <laughs> well, it sounds because, because again, like we all, we're living in the world. We drive cars, we fly airplanes, we do things that are risky. Is a little bit of sugar and or stevia harmful for us? I think that there's something to be said about building resiliency around food and, and not necessarily having this fear-based approach to eating. Like this whole podcast, we've been talking about all the right things to do, things you need to avoid. But at the end of the day, like if you are living a life where you're active, you're busy, you have things going on, there is a place for convenience. There is a place for, you know, the kids want to need a little bit of extra protein in their yogurt, but they don't want to, you know, they, they want it to taste like chocolate. Okay, give them, give them a scoop of the protein powder and there you go. So, um I just think, you know, there's a lot of these dogmatic rules that we kind of set in place when we start talking Mm -hmm. about nutrition and reality is like life is dynamic. There's a lot of different factors and like you should be controlling 99% of what you're eating and really being cautious about conscious about it. But then there's also, there should be a little bit of wiggle room and you should have these things that help support a really strong and healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And I, for myself, my example is I'm in the 95% carnivore i mean steak is my go-to i have some oysters maybe some lobster and and some scallops from time to time but but it then sometimes i will have that cookie cake or ice cream from time to time but quality uh with a lot of fat and uh, i personally use a little bit of cane sugar but i think the stevia and some of those other things a little bit from time to time are okay but it depends you know, so, so many people call themselves a, a food addict, right? A, they have a, a food addiction or they have a, some sort of a eating disorder. Um, are those, do you approach that differently? Do you think? It's such a good question. It's, you know, it's interesting how, you know, people will go to therapy for gambling or drug addiction or video, even video games, but we don't, it's almost like this legitimacy of food addiction isn't real, but it's like, these companies legitimately have food scientists. It's like they're designed to be oh. hyper palatable, right? If the, the Dorito effect is an incredible book that blew our minds of like, they're literally, they're manufacturing the perfect combinations of crunchy, but salty, but sweet to literally get you hooked. So you don't have palate fatigue so that by the time you get to a bag of Doritos, you're finishing the entire thing. You're not just eating a few of them. So it's like, it's important to have that context. And then also, like what Harry said, Dr. Kiltz, when we meet up in Princeton, we're going to go to Root Steakhouse. We're going to have some ribeyes. We're going to do a Kiltz martini, and we'll probably have some fries and sour cream. The fries are going to be cooked in canola oil, 
but it's like, we're not going to eat a ton of them. And we know that the next day we're just going to get back on the horse. And we had an amazing meal with two people that we really enjoy. It's like, you got to balance these things and realize that the body is super resilient, just like Harry and yourself said. My snowboarding has gotten more risky at 67 <laughs> than when I was 57 and 47, for sure. I, I don't do the half pipe anymore, uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, uh, let's see. So are, are there are there any particular things that you really wanted to make sure we talked about in this hour of meat power? Man, I, w- I was just going to add on what Brett said, and I think it plays into this kind of this question. So I really believe in informed consent, and we live in a world where there's a lot of deception around what's getting put in front of you. There's people who are marketing, spending marketing dollars trying to get your attention to consume products that aren't really all that healthy for you. And so if you just approach this conversation around food with just building your knowledge base and then making informed decisions like what Brett just talked about, like 99% of the time you are hitting it out of the park. You're doing all the right things. You're fueling yourself. You're trying to nourish your body. That's, that's kind of the key, right? Like you want to be in control and making decisions that you're comfortable with. Like if you are going to have a little bit of that ice cream sandwich or kilts is special ice cream, you, you know what you're doing. You just don't want to be the person who's on the flywheel of leading them down the path of ill health and, and sickness yeah. and disease. So that's kind of where what I would like to, mm. to get the message across to your audience. Mm. Uh, any particular thing or guest that you've had on that's been uh, ultra special and eye-opening other than me? Yeah, I was going to say we had this guy, Dr. Kelson. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we just did a great podcast with some of our friends that own a ranch in Lubbock, Texas and West Texas called Holy Cow Beef. We met them last July at a, at this conference called the beef initiative, husband and wife, Weldon and Ann Warren, and uh, they're grass fed grass finished ranchers. And they just have so much knowledge and so much insight and wisdom into like regenerative agriculture, why it's good for the environment, you know, why carnivore, why animal protein, and they, they know all the ins and outs behind all the deception and labeling laws and things that it comes to our food. So I think that that episode, that, that episode just rolled out yesterday. Um, I think that would be an amazing podcast because it blew our mind. I think they would be a great guest for your show. And on that theme, one of the things that I wanted to leave the listener with and the challenge is we found out that over 99% of Americans have never met their local farmer. And an amazing way to get really healthy is to get as closely to the source of your food as possible. And there isn't a better way to do that than finding a local farmer, actually being able to shake their hand, look them in the eye, go out to their farm. You know, it's one thing if you have an amazing farm where you can order beef from and you trust it and verify it, that's amazing. But if you don't, finding somewhere in the area is an amazing starting point to just cut out the middleman. Um, And there's actually a website called Mm eatwild.com that will allow you to find all the beef, eggs, animal products in your area. So you can literally be like, hey, I live in Syracuse, New York. Here's my zip code. And it will show you all the local farms. So that's my challenge is, you know, cut out the middleman, decentralize your food supply, take control of your health and just find a great farmer, get some amazing food, share great meals with people that you love and just live a badass life. Let's go. If you think about it, right, right. So if the the number one thing we put in our body the most is food, but we we're we're the furthest away from where it comes from. And 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 that's but for the majority of our evolution, 
we had direct access and we determined it, didn't we? Absolutely. Yeah, the distance that has been created between us and our food supply is only going to get harder and harder to really make those relationships unless you start building relationships with people who are nearby who are doing it for themselves or you maybe you start a garden or something like that. But yeah, the, that distance is really, yeah, I think over the past year, having had so many conversations with farmers and ranchers, it's built a much deeper appreciation and almost like a spiritual component to what food actually is. And that is, I mean, that, that is what food is. It's sustenance, it's yeah. life. It's giving you the fuel that you need to go live a badass life. And that isn't something that should be outsourced to some big company that's putting it in a plastic bag for you. We're, we go to school to get knowledge, but, but we really never get the knowledge of the simple, important things about uh, our food, mm-hmm. our, our lifestyles, and, and how we can probably do much better at that, uh, even raising uh, animals. And if you're going to have some uh, plants in your diet, um, learning to garden and and take care of those. But, you know, even I imagine going to a restaurant, um, talk to your, the restaurants. I go to a local restaurant all the time and I talk to them about the food, where it's coming from, how it's cooked. So that's something I imagine that's really important for people to start digging deeper into also. Yeah. I think just being able to ask the right questions and really verify the source of your food. There's so much power to that. And we unfortunately live in this age where, you know, go to the butcher at Whole Foods, a lot of them don't even know the farm of, or where they're sourcing it from. Um, there's this there's this thing called the Cool Act, which is the Country of Origin Labeling Act. And it used to make you actually slap on the label of the country where the beef was being raised, harvested, and imported from. That was repealed in 2015 under Tom Vilsack, who's the head of the USDA. So now you can have an animal that's killed, or raised, killed, and processed in Brazil but if it was actually packed in the case in the US, it can be labeled as a product of the USA. Wow. So, you know, you're going to Whole Foods, it says pasture raised, it's greenwashed, it looks good. You know, maybe some Whole Foods might have some beef that's raised in the USA, but they have a lot of beef that's imported and raised overseas. You know, a lot of restaurants might not necessarily even know where it's coming from. So that's why finding a really good local restaurant like you're talking about that's farm to table that can verify the farms. That stuff is massive. And that's just another reason why you should be building relationships with your local farmer and food producer, because you have ultimate control. You can look them in the eye. They'll tell you how the cows were raised. They can tell you if they were vaccinated. They can tell you if they finished them on corn or if they were if they were finished grass. Um, These are all just things that you don't necessarily get when you're just buying meat from the grocery store or buying meat in a restaurant. What's your website that people can find a lot of this information and the blog they should all go to, to be listening and learning. So we have a Substack That's uh, our newsletter, which comes out every week. Um, so it's the meat mafia podcast Substack. Um, you should be able to find that with a quick Google search. And then both of us are on Twitter. It's meat mafia, Harry and meat mafia, Brett. We just changed our handles. So if anyone is familiar with what we've been doing, we just made the switch over to uh, fully, doxing ourselves and revealing our, our, uh, our, our real names on Twitter, but on, also on Instagram as well. We put out a bunch of content there, the yeah. Me Mafia podcast. And Dr. Kelts, our product officially ships next week too. So if anyone wants some some bovine carnivore protein, uh, nobleorigins.com, and we're, we're going to send you some. Do you like chocolate and vanilla? 
I love both. All right, we'll send you both. We'll oh, send yeah, you. yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I'm going to put in my ice cream because that is, that's a simple, it's actually a simple thing for many people who are working to get extra calories from the cream mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in an egg, but you want to get more of the protein uh, that you might not get otherwise. And, and uh, so it's, it's a good way to make uh, that, 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 uh, instead of that canned caloric food, you make it from some really great fresh cream, eggs, uh, and, 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 uh, I think the protein of uh, vanilla or chocolate would be really awesome. So, and colostrum would be really, really great, uh, for sure. One of the things I'm trying to figure out our buddy, Casey, he runs our cooking show, all carnivore recipes on YouTube, and he's made a rendition of Kiltz's ice cream. It's like a custard. It's okay. So, it's so good. I'm trying. So I'm going to come back to Jersey, like June 26th to the 30th. I, I need to find a way to just bring a cooler so I can get you some, because it's literally that good. All right. I got to come on that show. Yeah, yeah you do. <laughs> Dude, you, that would be incredible. Come on the show. You, you could be our first celebrity uh, doctor on the Coach, show. Yeah. yeah. Loved it. Loved to do it. And you know, this is so much, aren't you having fun doing this? Oh my gosh. Yes. There's nothing I would rather be doing than what we're doing right now. It's, it, it's, uh, totally mission driven, doing it with my best buddy. Like this is as good of a setup as you could possibly ask for. And you're meeting some really amazing people in, in all of this. The, the last year we've gone from interviewing people that we were effectively like fans and consumers of to now, you know, their colleagues, their friends. And um, I would just encourage anyone if they're on the fence of like creating content to just really make that push because you really don't understand what can happen in a year of staying consistent with something. You know, we've done 195 podcasts in about a year and that's the the consistency of doing that and doing it with a great friend. It's like, that's where all the gold is. Like a year ago we were watching you on TV or YouTube and now we're good friends. And like that comes from actually having skin in the game and creating something of value to the world. And anyone can do that. And, and I feel the same way because I was watching a, a, a Baker and Chafee and so many people in this, and then suddenly I'm meeting them and talking with them. And, and, and we're, we're really all humans mm-hmm. in the same journey. And this is really about sharing stories because it's just a story. And there's so many people that are suffering and the simplicity of this story is a game changer. Mm -hmm. Um, our children's 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 children need to know this. This is not one of those things that the keto diet went away after they got the drugs. I mean, we have a movement that is going to continue to grow and to show the lions that were, were kidnapped from the lion's den and placed into the pig pen. And we're going to bring those lions back. And that's what this story is really about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And have fun doing it. Yeah, and have fun every single day. Absolutely. All right. This has been such uh, an amazing hour of power. Uh, the Meat Mafia. Uh, let's see. Brett and Harry. And uh, you go to their their uh, Twitter, uh, Meat Mafia Harry and Meat Mafia Brett. Brett? Yes. And, okay. and, and, and that's a simple. We're going to put links to all of this and share this in and uh, check out their 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 uh, noble protein yes a- and i know you guys going to have many more products to share and help people we're going to do this again cuz uh, and then um uh, i i we owe a dinner together in princeton yes we we, do. we need to make it happen end of yeah, june 
We're going to make okay. it happen. In June. In June. In June. We'll we'll text each other. We'll come up with a date, and uh, we'll make it happen. I'll I'll uh, get my daughter to come and enjoy a steak with us. Awesome. We appreciate you, Dr. Kiltz. Thank you so much for having us on. It's been amazing. Thank you, Dr. It's Kiltz. my pleasure. And and is there any any question you wanted to ask me? I know we've had we were we were doing live. We got to do an, another one of these things. Uh, anything you wanted to throw my way before we say good night? What's the most exciting thing happening in your life right now? Oh boy, let's see. Um, any any plane trips? Well, well, I did fly. Well, uh, let's see. Well, um, I'm opening up a new clinic in Sarasota and I'm looking at one in Orlando and maybe in DC. And that's been a lot of work. Uh, and, but I don't rush in things. It takes time. Um, and, and you know, it's, I'm just, I, I love my 5 Mm AMs. I'm, you know, that's sort of like my go-to my 5 AM show in the morning, which is just sharing faith and positivity. And we talk about, all these things. And I think that's the, that's my kind of go-to. And, and uh, I love flying. I fly a Citation Mustang jet, which mm. has been a lot of fun. Uh, but I'm always, I'm always looking and reading about uh, airplane accidents so I can learn the whys, which is kind of one thing in medicine. We don't talk about the why someone got sick and died or got oh. injured. We just talk about what we did to treat them and we're not digging deep. And so as a, as a pilot, I've really learned to dig deep into the whys of things. And that's why I want is I get a lot of training. That's why majority of the time I fly with another pilot, uh, even though I'm rated to do it all alone. Um, it's, it's just, you know, some of the things, and maybe that's the whole part about science and medicine and healthcare. You, you, it, you're not meant, we're not here to go it alone. There's a community to come together and help, help doing it. So um I'm just, I think I'm just really inspired to get, to dig deeper and deeper into this, into this, uh, the keto carnival world and the health and wellness world and the, the faith and fasting and all those sort of things. So definitely. Yeah. Right, so, we appreciate you. Appreciate you both. It was so nice seeing you in uh, Austin, right? And uh, where are we going to see you next? Jersey. Jersey. Okay. Princeton. All right, you guys. Take Thanks, care. Guys. Thanks you everyone. Bye. Enjoy. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Carnivore Conversations hosted by me, Dr. Robert Kiltz. And don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Check out drkiltz.com for more and subscribe to our Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook for more inspiring content every day. Take care and see you next time.